What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey. What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up? Bitcoin! Hello everyone, welcome back to On The Ledger. This is your host Mohit Saeed and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous. I'm still live from Minneapolis for Recon, that's why this week you will hear some background noise. So consider this to be a tiny piece of the Recon vibe. Relationships between Web3 and the press have always been quite complex. It's kinda like two people that are having a very hard time understanding each other. But then came Time Magazine. Within a year, and thanks to its already famous Timepieces NFT collection, Time has become a key player of the Web3 space and its adoption. A living proof that old media can and will evolve. So today, On The Ledger is thrilled to be talking to the man who's leading this fascinating evolution. Time President Keith Grossman in a one-to-one conversation with Ledger's Chief Experience Officer, the man you all know, Ian Rogers. On The Ledger meets Keith from Time, live from Minneapolis. Here we go. All right, I'm here with Keith Grossman from Time. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you, and and I hope that everyone can hear the four on the floor bass of VCon going in the background. I see people that are out there, they're riding the Tim Ferriss wheel, which um, just goes around and around in circles, which I think is uh, appropriate. I mean, I don't know about you, but this is, what Gary has done is so impressive. It's unbelievable. It is for, so for someone impressive. Who's, for someone who's not here, describe it. Imagine walking into a football stadium and seeing six or 7,000 people that prior to seeing, you only conceptually knew existed as PFPs, <laughs> right? And some of the people I can identify other people, but most of the people you may know, but you don't know you know, but you've interacted with. And it's surprisingly more diverse than I thought it was going to be. And the attention to detail at every level is so impressive. And um, there's a tremendous amount of programming and excitement. And what you're seeing in my mind is, if you remember when Apple came out with the iPhones, you would have the people who would camp out in front of the i in front of the Apple stores to get the latest iPhone. It feels like all of them are here in this stadium, and it's that type of excitement that that I'm seeing. And for people who don't understand this space, it's okay because it's early. But what you see in this space is a bunch of people who are really excited about what they know is is to come. And right now, you actually, oh, I wish, I think you missed it. You've got to look out the window. It was Gary and, a, and like a gigantic chicken and an alien. Uh, you know, Gary was sort of sending them off into the arena. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and there you go. And, you know, what I found surprising, I really didn't know how it would work. How would V, what is VCon? I didn't know what that was, right? You know, is it, is everyone staring at the stage and sitting in the audience and staring at the stage? But it feels much more like a carnival or a world, or like a county fair. I, I agree, but but with a little bit of a slight twist. Um, this space, we talk a lot about community. And I think that what we've seen here today, and like Gary has done this remarkably well, is wow, 
is vFriends a community? Like, this is a community. Now, you see other communities in here. You see, you know, the Bomb Squad community. You see the Time Pieces community. Come, people have been coming up to me, and, it, and it's been really humbling. You see, you know, the Dead Fellas community. You see, and you see the artists getting celebrated, and it's really cool. But you definitely have what feels like a, a country fair meets carnival meets, like, family reunion type well you have all of these communities that are being introduced to one another i know and that that because i i completely agree with you and and you know what i find really surprising because um v friends you know it is it is a very specific thing in a way and it's gary's thing um at the same time i had lunch today with snowfro and tyler hobbs their community is here and and they were really moved um you know at least speaking the conversation i had with with snowfro by the event and by exactly what you just described which is the community of the event and so yeah i I have to hand it to him he's done an incredible job pulling all of these communities together into something that feels really positive and you know what it's not surprising though because for what it's worth and you know, Gary has been incredibly supportive to me personally and to timepieces, but like he has helped so many communities and influenced so many people in this space. So it's not surprising that he is essentially a glue within so many communities. Yeah. Incredible. Well, Keith, let's talk about your, your journey a bit. Um, let's, let's go, let, let, let's give us a, just a sense of how you got to time in, in two seconds. Sure. So I started at Wired. Uh, you know, um, that's where I was introduced to the crypto space back in 2014 and um, rose from uh, intern at Wired to associate publisher at Wired and also ran uh, Ars Technica, which is one of my favorite brands, um, and then went over to Bloomberg and um, from Bloomberg, you know, ended up at Time, right? And, you know, in each of those places, I mean, they were marked with moments of transformation. Right. So uh, at Wired, we digitized the brand from a revenue perspective. Right. We were the first brand in all of Condé Nast to take over 50 percent of its revenue from print into digital. Right. Um, At Wired, uh, we launched the tablet edition with Adobe, where we built the digital publishing suite. And Steve Jobs held it up and said, this is how a brand should actually think about itself on a device like this. Um, With ours, we looked at, at, you know, like the power of the community. Um, and ours actually has been very influential in, in thinking about Web3 because ours really has a, a powerful community. Um, uh, and we built what was called the Ars Accelerator, which won at Project Isaac Award for Digital Invention, um, which was a predictive algorithm that would say if an article was published, we could predict with a pretty high accuracy that it would hit over 100,000 page views within an hour and a half. Wow. Um, uh, and that grew the revenues of ours 85% in one year. Um, At Bloomberg, like the task was, how do we bring all of the disparate platforms together into Bloomberg Media? And then during that time, we launched QuickTake, social mobile video, you know, um, with the assumption that Twitter's the largest, you know, news feed on the planet, but can't be trusted. Bloomberg has the largest newsroom on the planet. How can you overlap them and, you know, give verifiable, trustworthy social mobile video content in the news space? At time, the challenge was, how do you take this storied brand that's been 100 years old and evolve it for the next 100 years? And, you know, time was bought by Mark and Lynn Benioff uh, about four years ago. I joined three years ago. And our strategy was never to enter into the Web3 space. It, it, like, I, I mean, we, we, there was so much that had to 
evolve with the brand. Like it wasn't like we were thinking about Web3. We were thinking about fixing the website and building newsletters and all, how do we expand the events and this and that. Um, and, you know, there's that great quote by the philosopher Mike Tyson of everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. And it was 2020 that really led us to see, you know, whoa, why always play catch up in Web 2 when we can leapfrog into Web 3? Why was that the right moment? And was it? I think that it's the right moment because a lot of things were happening at the right moment in time, right? So time entered into Web 3 in March of 2021. And there was this big article by Julia LaRoche and Yahoo Finance. And we said in the article that um, we were going to later that week release one of one NFTs. Within 30 days, we would um, accept cryptocurrency for digital subscriptions of time. We took 32 at the time. Um, we now take 33 because we take ApeCoin, right? And uh, you can go to time.com slash hodl if you want to laugh, right, is, is, the, is, the, is the site. Um, and then I said, within six months, we'll figure out how to use the token and a blockchain to change the relationship we have with our, con with our consumers um, uh, to form a new community. At that point, I had no clue how we were going to do it. Right. But the trends that we saw and that were really obvious to me were in 2020, think about sort of where you were. Right. It, it was just terrible. Right. And everyone was just lonely. Like and I was isolated and I started to understand that my digital identity was just as valuable as my physical identity. And I also at the same time saw that this NFT, which is really just a token that can verify ownership on the blockchain, was becoming more prevalent. And if my digital identity was just as valuable as my physical identity, like why wouldn't what I value online be worth just as much as what I value in the real world, right? And then I started to notice that as people were buying these NFTs, they were sort of gathering around each other and forming new communities. And because everyone was isolated in 2020, these communities were being formed not based on demographics or geographics, but based on shared psychographics. And it didn't hit me that clearly, but like all of those things were the things that were sort of like going around in my head. And then one day in February, Mark Benioff, our owner, sent an email to us and said, did you see this? And it was the Nyan Cat sale. And that's when it all clicked, like how we could take time into Web3. And after we did that Yahoo Finance article, I sat in clubhouse rooms and Twitter spaces for six months and I just listened. And I saw not only everything that I was thinking over here, but I also saw that this technology allowed for creatives to be paid for their overall contribution to society, not for just their point of creation, right? So all of a sudden you can have a completely new economic paradigm. I saw that, you know, um, uh, that you can have a really powerful community base rally around a creator and that a brand in this world's job is not to make it about itself, but to uplift that creator further and then be validated by a community, right? And as all those things started to take place and there were people in these rooms like JN Silva or Thank You X, Ryan Wilson and and others that were that were, you know, constantly referencing and speaking out on behalf of artists and how like like this technology could be used. 
timepieces started to get formed, right? And that's and then when we announced we were going to do it, in and we did it in September of last year. It's just been incredible since. You know, if you look today, our community is forty thousand people. You know, across Twitter space, Twitter and uh, and Discord, we've dropped twenty thousand NFTs. You know, twelve thousand wallets own them, and six thousand of the twelve thousand wallets have connected their digital wallet to Time.com to remove the paywall without giving any personal information um, to access the site. And how is it? Cha- how did it change? And I want to come back to exactly what Time Pieces is. But I'm curious also for you personally and professionally, you know, how, how did it, how did it, I mean, you've gone all in professionally, let's yes. put it that way, which I, I'm, I'm going to tell you, Keith, I identify with, I, I am, I'm, I'm going to, I'm asking you this obvious question that people always ask me. And I actually, I know exactly how you feel about the question, I think, which is because people ask me what it's like to kind of go from LVMH to crypto. And my, my thought is like, that's not what I did. I went from Apple to LVMH and then actually, you know, Ledger makes far more sense than any than going to LVMH, right? Um, so I, I I have a suspicion it's the same for you. But but you've kind of you know taken you've really changed your role, you know professionally to go all in on this. So what what's your personal um, feeling? I had a moment in October of last year where I was walking with my wife. I was on ninety fourth and. Broadway in New York City and I said to her when I was at Wired I sat on the East Coast as an observer of the digital revolution taking place and I can tell you that I'm watching a bigger revolution take place from online renters to online owners from privacy being in the hands of the platforms to privacy being in the hands of the consumer and I said to her, like, I cannot sit back and just allow, like, myself to be an observer in this. Like, I want to be a participant and I want to shape it and I want to shape it to be a positive Internet experience. Right. Like, I have an eight year old daughter named Ellie and like, I want the Internet that she has, which is going to be an immersive metaversal, if that's a word. I think I just made up that word. But like, right, like um, uh, ownership Internet, like I want it to be a positive one and I want to have shaped that in whatever capacity I can. And so against that backdrop, you know, I I spoke with the team at time and like that's why I wanted to make sure that I transitioned fully into Web3 over the course of this year because... I see this as a 20-year trend, not a small fad. And, and so why for you then is time the right vehicle for that? I mean, I think that the Time brand is an amazingly powerful brand, right? And uh, as I look at the Time brand, right, like it represents a lot to a lot of people, right? The red border represents trust, it's objective. Um, and in a space where, um, you know, there's a lot of good, but there's also equally bad, right? Which is why a brand, and this is a hugely self-serving comment I'm about to make for Ledger, but like why a brand like Ledger is very important in this space because the bad actors are extraordinarily smart, right? But I think that a brand like Time provides a platform where we could validate 
a revolution that's taking place. And when you think about time's place, historically, it's been to capture living history. And so a lot of the coverage that time has done, right, whether they put Vitalik on the cover recently, which is something that we did, was not influenced by our Web3 activity. As a matter of fact, I found out that Vitalik was going to be on the cover with my team. And then after we found out that that was going to happen, then we actually went and built the decentralized issue and the NFT. But it wasn't before. It was after the fact that the editors deemed that this was a moment in time that that we were that we built that. And that's why we dropped it as an airdrop as a surprise to everyone, because we didn't know that it was coming and we thought it was the right way to reward our community. Um, I like that the brand has allowed um, my view of Web3 to validate sort of this revolution and this evolution that's taking place. And so that's why I think the time is a, is a great platform for that. It's, it's interesting when you think about the history of media, um, how the internet has, you know, really turned, you know, uh, turned, turned things inside out and upside down, and people have really had to adapt. And now, you know, that makes sense when it comes to the internet, I would say, because the internet is a, is a revolution of information. Now, I always say that, that where the internet was a revolution of information, you know, Web3 is a revolution of value. Now, I think what's interesting is that, that you're, you know, you're applying that revolution of value, you know, to, to an information brand. And, and, and so I'm really trying to, um, to think about, you know, what that could be. I think the other thing that I find interesting personally is that we all know it's quite early and it will evolve, you know, tremendously from where we are today. Now, what I love about what you're saying is that, you know, time is, is actually that. It's about capturing moments in time. And, and you know, you're, you're capturing all of these moments in, in the time of Web3. And that could be turn out to be an, an incredibly interesting documentation of the evolution of Web3 itself, you know. And, and so how do you think about that? Like, how much um, license do you think time has, you know, to get it wrong today and evolve into what it is tomorrow and, and, and capture that? How do, you, how do you think about it, like, kind of taking that journey along with the rest of us? Because so, we're all going to make a lot of mistakes along this journey. So, I mean, we have made a lot of mistakes as timepieces up to today, right? Like I can, I mean, when we minted our original Genesis collection, um, you know, we didn't take into account demand. We underestimated demand. We didn't take into account bots. We didn't take into account gas wars, right? Um, and we learned, right? But like the one thing that we learned that was better than anything I've ever seen is what it's like to evolve with a real-time feedback cycle of a community, right? And um, sometimes it's really hard, right? Sometimes, like, it, it hurts to hear that, like, you really messed up, right? But I think that when you, when you start to see the people who have the intent to see you succeed over, you know, what we keep saying, not weeks or months, but 100 years, right? Um, the next hundred years, it's really powerful because, you know, there's this moment where you think that I wish I had the smartest person in the room to help me through this. And what you start to realize in the Web3 space, like sometimes the smartest person in the room does exist. They're just not in the room with you, but they're connected to you. A good example I'll give is, is a big mistake that we made 
was if I wish I could have gone back and there's a lot of things I would have course corrected, but like we've stayed at it and we fixed it and people see that our intent and our genuineness towards it is, is real. Um, is I wish that we had launched our Discord server prior to launching timepieces. And um, it's very easy to like look back at all your successes, but like we studied Barat, Krish, our CTO, Maya Drazen, our Chief Brand Officer, Lane Lytle, um, and others have studied sort of like all of our mistakes over and over and over again. And this was one that we definitely were like, I wish we had done this before. And to give you an idea of how powerful Web3 is, is and the, com the value of community is, is, um, you know, we were dealing with people really upset about gas wars and not having a Discord server and the Cool Cats community was really genuine and they allowed us to house our community in their Discord server when we launched. People don't remember that, but like Klon and, and Tom and Ev and Rob, they actually allowed timepieces to have a, a community sort of um, uh, place in their Discord as, until we got ours up. Now, I thought it was gonna take us two weeks to set up our Discord. And we're in the height of just trying to like unwind, like what had gone wrong? How did we underestimate this? And Barat comes to a meeting and we had said, it's gonna be two weeks to get the Discord up. Barat comes to a meeting and he's our president of digital, our CTO. And he says, sorry, I'm 15 minutes late. And I'm like, no worries. He's like, a timepiece holder uh, reached out to me and built our entire Discord for us. And he handed it over to us and my team has spent the whole morning looking for security flaws in it to see if there was something wrong. And we couldn't find a single security flaw. So we have a Discord server now. And my jaw was on the ground. And so I asked Barat, I said, who is this person? And he told me the person's handle. And I reached out and the person would not take payment from us, would not take anything. He just said, I'm a holder and I want to see you succeed. And I kept on looking at the person and, uh, you know, we had people in common, but he wanted to stay anonymous and, and I had to respect that. And, um, and I would ask other people and they're like, yeah, that's just sounds like that person. Right. And I'd never experienced anything like that. And so somebody said to me, you know, the person's an artist. And I looked up online and I found a piece of his that is on foundation and it was called the world's smallest NFT. And I bought it. And by the way, 100% of the proceeds from it was going to like help children learn how to code in Malaysia. Wow. And I bought this NFT uh, and the guy reached out. He said, wow, why did you buy the NFT? And I said, I want to own this forever because I want to remember the kindness of another individual on the other side of the planet. The person was based out of Malaysia. I want to remember the kindness of another person on this planet forever. And I said, so I hate to break it to you, but you're gonna get zero secondary sales ever on this because I'm never selling it. I'm always gonna hold it. And the best part is, is that because it's titled the world's smallest NFT, sometimes people will call me or send me DMs in Twitter and say, you know that that NFT that you bought is not really the world's smallest NFT. And what they don't understand is, is I don't care. <laughs> I don't care at all. That was not I, your that's motivation. That's not the motivation. And the guy could have called it the world's biggest NFT. The motivation was I wanted to thank that individual and I wanted to remember that moment of kindness that I see happening in the Web3 community. I think, um, you know, it, it, it's funny. My day here at, at VCon today has been 
about this. You know, I used to say in the music business, when I was in the music business, who sits between artists and, and fans, I would say there's only two people who matter in the music business, people who make music and people who love music. And the rest of us are in the way. We need to either provide value or get out of the way. And I've had a number of experiences today where right along that same, you know, kind of um, emotion. And that's the one you just shared as well, is that as human beings, we love a value exchange, you know? And, and so, and there is something in this, you know, I think it was Jason Calacanis who many years ago said that there's some physics online where the more you put out there, the more you get back, right? So Warren Buffett actually has a quote and, you know, people see the world through the lens that they know. So his quote is through commodities. And he says, love is the only commodity you can't hoard. The more you hold on to it, the less you have. The more you give it away, the more you get in return. And I see that every day in the Web3 space. There's something, yeah. And it's very special. And as it scales and as more friction is removed from the ecosystem and it really scales, my hope is that at this early stage, we could inject it with so much positivity that that, as it dilutes itself, at least still scales a little bit. Well, you know, it, it, I, I, I think I, I agree with you, and we're talking about the positives, and, and you and I both know that there will, there will be just as many negatives, and I think I agree with you that, you know, we need to inject as many positives into it as we can. Um, but NFT is just a primitive, and like fire, is fire good or bad? Well, it depends on how you use it. You know, NFT is just a primitive, just like a website. And there will be there will be great stories like the ones we're telling, and there will be horror stories like Ponzi schemes and scams. Um, but what I'd, I'd like to turn to is timepieces itself. You know, for any listener who is unfamiliar with the project, um, you know, what is it exactly? Um, and, you know, how, how can they get involved? How can they join this community? Sure. So... Uh, Time Pieces is Time's Web3 initiative. And um, really, right now, what we've focused on is, is um, uh, visual, meaning like photographs and videos. And we recently moved into the music space. And we're very keen on figuring out how to also extend it into the text space. But it's our Web3 community. And um, it exists on Twitter. At, at timepieces and it exists on Discord uh, within uh, a similar handle, which you could access through our Twitter handle if you don't want to look for it online. Um, but it's it's our Web3 initiative to understand how to make sure that we can think about evolving our brand for the next hundred years. And you know, it started with I would say forty artists uh, that we dropped in September, um, about five thousand pieces. And um, we now have 89 artists, um, and we've dropped about 20,000 pieces over six different collections. And um, what we try to do is we try to build a Web3 community on one hand that's as genuine to the ethos that we're seeing um, uh, in spaces like VCon. On the other hand, what we see is, is that we as a brand that has a hundred years of impact and influence and relationships can really build a web 2.5 bridge. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, when you think about the experience of a consumer, you know, on the web two front, there's a lot of challenges that take place 
uh, as it relates to consumer privacy, right? And you're seeing things like GDPR in Europe where you live, uh, you know, on the rise. You see CCPA in the States on the rise. You see third-party cookies are going to disappear. And so media brands that are so reliant on, you know, uh, the extraction of the consumer information are going to lose all of their sort of current strategy very soon. Um, on the other hand, you can use the NFT to verify ownership of an asset. And we say to the 12,000 people who own timepieces, if you connect your digital wallet to time.com, don't worry about telling us who you are, right? Because you own this asset, we're gonna give you access to what we have over here on our website. And the value proposition, I think, of the brand or the, the shift in mindset of the brand in this new equation is, is in Web2, where the brands extract the information from the consumer or the platforms own the consumer information, and in Web3, where the consumer owns their own information, you as a brand have to say to the consumer, here's something that you really truly value in return for your information, right? And so what we do with our Web2 assets is, is we say to our Web3 community, do you want to attend the Time Pieces Person of the Year, the Time Person of the Year event with Elon Musk? And um, if you do, you know, we're going to have a raffle for you. And by the way, we did this and thousands of people entered in and we're willing to give their personal information. We're willing to take a PCR test on spot. Um, but they made the choice that they wanted to volunteer their information by entering into that raffle, right? Like look at VCon. Um, in return for attending, you made a choice of connecting your V friends to the wallet to then attend, right? And I think that that shift is really important in terms of how we think about our relationship. But then the other thing is, and this goes to earlier in the day, we take our existing relationships, such as people like Deepak Chopra, and we bring it into the timepiece community and we say, you're stressed? Well, here's mental wellness with Deepak Chopra. And so we take the best of our content and our access over into Web 2 and bring it into Web 3. And we take what we can in Web 3 from those learnings and bring it into Web 2. I think that's incredible. I mean, the, the notion that you're um, you're taking the the kind of, you know, if I, if I, again, if I could follow the timeline, you know, of technology, you have um, time, you know, the, the, the information source of, of the pre-web world. You have, you have, you have the, the Web 2 world, which really has been about, um, you know, uh, about a revolution of information, but also a revolution of tracking consumers, right? And you're, and you're saying, wait a minute, can we keep the revolution of information and subtract the um, tracking consumers part and, and add in and, and add in kind of this this um, this ownership model instead. Well, so it, it's really interesting. Like when I say Web three, I mean crypto, I mean DeFi, I mean NFTs, and I mean the metaverse, right? And when I say Web three, sometimes like Web one is so obviously a read write web, and Web two is a read write social web, and Web three is a read write social ownership web. But nobody ever really talks about it through the lens of privacy. And in Web one. Privacy is a nobody owns anything privacy, right? And in Web 2, privacy is a they own you privacy, right? They being the platforms, yeah. you know, Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or, or whatnot. Web 3 is a you own you privacy, right? That's a very interesting shift to take place. And so you could still exist, right? Like there's a lot of Web 3 that still exists on these centralized platforms. And it's not that Web 3 you become anonymous. It just means 
me as Keith Grossman, or you, right, don't have to give your personal information unless you choose to give that. Whereas that choice is not presented to the consumer in Web2. Correct. For someone who owns zero timepieces, where do they begin? Um, come into the Discord. Like, I, I, I mean, look, I don't want anyone to ever buy anything that they don't love, right? And I think that, uh, you know, what we're trying to do is, is build a values-based community, right? And those values of, of the timepieces Discord and the 25,000 people that are in it or the 30,000 people that follow timepieces on Twitter uh, is uh, inclusivity, it is optimism, it is constructive feedback, and uh, it is... Uh, you know, this give first mentality. And we try to program it as such, and we try to moderate it as such. And my suggestion would be just join us in the Discord. And then if you want to look at some of the artwork that we have, you can go into time.com slash timepieces, and you could see all of the different drops that we've done. And you could see all the artists that we've worked with that range from, you know, Drift to Diana Sinclair to Kath Simard to Fuck Render. I mean, 89 artists in in i'd probably say 31 countries of every different discipline they come into the discord and they talk with the the community we do a lot of programming and um if you really love or connect with artists work you know you can find them on OpenSea. what advice would you have for another publication you know if, if um you know if, if if somebody listening is is an executive at you know at, a, at another institution of a magazine, what 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 would you recommend to them? What are the, what are they doing, or what you know? Should they let you be the pioneer here, and you'll go get the arrows in your back, or do you think there's something that other magazines should be doing right now? Look, I when I announced that we were going to enter into the space in March of last year, everyone after that Yahoo Finance piece came out texted me that I knew in this industry. And they asked me the same question. Are you crazy? <laughs> right? And I mean... Well, the answer is yes. Yes. Probably. I mean, I'm normal in that I could function in society without getting arrested. But, but that's about it, right? But in every really interesting moment in my career, that's what people have always asked. Like, are you crazy? And I think that people should just ask why. Like, why are we doing what we're doing? Like, what what is happening? And I think that if you took a moment and you looked at this revolution that's taking place from online rentership to online ownership and this shift in privacy, you're going to start to see that for media companies in particular, there's a lot of sort of faulty uh, foundations in place. And um, I don't think any media brand should rush into this space if they're not ready to be fully committed to the space. Um, but I would say think about your entry into the space in three facets. Phase zero. And phase zero is acknowledge the space, right? Show people that you care. Show people that you are present. You know, I sat in clubhouse rooms and spaces for seven months before I launched Timepieces, and I just listened to the community, and I got a lot of good feedback, and I didn't really talk that much. Now I don't shut up, but I didn't talk that much, right? And I just listened. And I think that, that people have to realize that, you know, you have to show that you care, right, before you can say, come join my brand. Phase one is, 
what is your launch going to be and how do I bring that to market? And how do I do my drop that allows the token to be accessible so that way I can bring you into my ecosystem? But then phase two is where the hard work really is. And it's like, how do I sustain a community? How do I deliver to a community? How do I show up to a community? You know, every week, every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 p.m. UTC, uh, 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 sorry, 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 3 p.m. UTC, sorry about that to anyone in UTC. Um, uh, we host a one hour weekly time hall where the entire leadership team of the timepieces web three group at time stands up in front of hundreds of people and tells the people, tells the community like, where are we taking this? What are we working on? Where are we going? Um, people constantly give feedback, like, but you as a brand have to feel comfortable with like this evolution from web two, where the equation is brand finds a creator who attracts an audience, right? In time's case, time hires Ian Bremmer, who writes a piece that attracts a reader to one where a community uplifts a creator and a brand uplifts that creator further and in return gets validated for by the community for that. And I think that moving out of the center and and moving to the periphery is gonna be very challenging for a lot of brands. Thinking about community versus audience is gonna be very challenging for a lot of brands. But I think it's worth listening to. And I think that you know people who draw hard lines in the sand and say, no, never. I mean, you look at these uh, memes that go through the internet today where it's like the internet is a passing fad, social media is dead. Like, will there be ups and downs as this adoption curve takes place? 100%. Will there be booms and busts? 100%. But is this going to be a long-term technological and generational shift? 100%. 100%. Thank you really so much for, for joining. I think it's incredibly brave what you guys are doing. Thank you. Um, and exactly right, as you said. I mean, another, another, another way to think about... Um, you know, from my perspective, uh, you know, where, where you're going with this is, you know, you, you are pioneering for others. Um, but I love that you're doing it with the brand Time, which really is meant to kind of collect and capture these moments. I think it's only fitting that Time will be a record of Web3. And I find that really exciting. Um, and my sincere hope is that anyone can hear what the fuck we're saying in this interview. <laughs> if not, we're recording this again next week, right? Exactly. This we'll is amazing. Do this, so we'll do this again uh, on, uh, on, on, uh, on, on Zoom. But um, hopefully the, um, you know, whatever filter they can put on this to get the four on the floor. Oh, I just saw Guy Osiri on stage. Um, it will be uh, will be great, but I really, really, really appreciate you doing this and I appreciate what you're doing. If, well, thank you. And if I can, on one last parting word, um, you know, we were very fortunate that the great team at Ledger came to the timepieces community and talked about security to our community. And, you know, in any instance where uh, new technology emerges, it can be used, as you said, for good or for bad. And the one thing I can assure you about this space is, is that there's a lot of smart people in the space. The word degen is very deceptive. Like it doesn't capture the brilliance that's actually in this space, the pure brain power that's in the space. And there's a lot of brain power that's being used for good. But there's some that's actually being used for bad. And I think that you 
and your team have put together a offering and, and a product that I personally use, um, and so I have no problem endorsing because I've seen it and I've seen the value that it provides in terms of like being able to go to sleep at night. And so, you know, kudos to your team and to your organization for providing that type of safety and protection in this moment in time as people start to realize that their digital assets are going to be worth just as much as their physical assets. No, thank you very much. Really appreciate you saying that. And I think, you know, that recognition that that on some level your wallet, whether it's ledger or otherwise, will sit at the center of your digital life. Yep. It'll be the thing that you take with you from space to space. Yep. Um, so having that and having that secure and having that in your custody is incredibly important. So thank you. And we're really happy to be a part of this, you know, with, with organizations like yours. Super exciting moment. So thanks, Keith. Thank you. That's it. What an insightful conversation with Keith and Ian. I loved every minute of it. If you've enjoyed this as much as I did and haven't subscribed to our show yet, go on and hit that subscribe button to get more of this. This was On The Ledger from VCon with your host, Mol Sayed. Till next time. See ya. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.